0: Hello everyone, welcome to Chem for Real, because research engages all learners. This podcast is hosted by the Chemistry Division of the Council on Undergraduate Research, CUR. We are a community of faculty nationwide who walk the talk of engaging student learning through undergraduate research episode, we will discuss recent findings, experiments, and strategies to assist faculty in defining, expanding, and building a community of lifelong learners around undergraduate research experiences. Whether in our classroom, laboratory, or the community, undergraduate research increases student engagement, advances student adaptability, and promotes overall resilience.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Kim Friel podcast. My name is Lindsay Davis and I'm from Professor at Berry College. Today, we're having discussion about how faculty can be intentionally inclusive in their classrooms. In this episode, you're going to hear different ways to be intentionally inclusive. The first one involves building an assignment directly into the course. The second is about using class time to introduce students to other experts in the field and broaden representation of who succeeds in science. I'm here with Karen Almeida and Greg Ferentz, and I'm gonna give them a minute to introduce themselves.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Lindsay. I'm Karen Almeida. I teach biochemistry, and the, uh, the assignment that I'm gonna be talking about is in general chemistry at Rhode Island College.
0: I'm, uh, I'm Gregory Ferrance and I'm a professor of chemistry at Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. And uh, I've got a couple of things uh, on my mind uh, with related to, to how I've tried to engage students in thinking about aspects of chemistry and aspects of science um, in the broader context of, of diversity and in inclusion. So I'll uh, make some comments as we're talking, I guess.
1: All right. Awesome. So Karen, do you want to tell us more about the assignment that you do? Can you kind of describe it, uh, what the prompt is, how you grade it, what the student's
2: reaction is? Absolutely. Um, So I run my general chemistry course in a team learning format, which means that I put my students into permanent groups, okay? So just as a background of of how I set this up. So I spend the first two weeks of the semester um, evaluating all of my students because I want to be able to set my groups in the most diverse way possible. And that includes like what their majors are and, you know, their math skills, their interest level, like any, everything I can think of. So during this period, I give them this assignment in which I ask them to look up a scientist, preferably a chemist, but somebody that they're interested in. So the prompt that I'm giving them is actually very broad they just need to be able to relate on some kind of personal level. And then I would like to know, obviously, the, the scientist's name. They should give me a, um, an image if they can find one. And like a brief description of what their accomplishments are. So why are they interested in them? But more interestingly, a short reflection on why they chose this person. How do, does this person reflect them as a human being? And. It's really interesting what I get back. So first of all, I think the students really like it, and it works on many different levels. So this is the first week of class when we're still orienting to remote learning or or even in the classroom trying to get everyone on the same page with what we're doing. So what I do after they've posted up their assignments is I go through each one, and I've created a SharePoint page. So we're a Microsoft 365, you know, Office 365 campus. So I created the SharePoint page in which they can then look at all of the different entries that their classmates have come up with. And you end up getting a lot of people who are Nobel Prize winners or very well represented in this group. But we've also gotten some really um, great other options. So Rosalind Franklin um who provided the the x-ray crystal structure for the DNA structure back in the 50s, she she's represented but also <laughs> people like um Alice Ball who is an African American uh, organic chemist who basically came up with a process that helped to cure leprosy. Died at 24 and was not given recognition for it until much, much later. This year we had one entry was a couple who, a Turkish couple who works at Pfizer and is involved in the Pfizer COVID vaccine. So I thought that was really oh, interesting. that is cool. Yeah, you know, so the last step to this assignment is once they get the SharePoint, right? And they can look at all of these different entries. When I finally set my groups, I use those entries as an icebreaker so that the students can have a discussion about the different scientists and why they liked them and what what they were doing. So it works on lots of different levels.
1: I'm curious, so do you find that students most likely pick someone that looks like them or do you see students picking someone that has something in their background it happens they happen to relate to
2: so both it 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 really depends and um so there's plenty of people plenty of students who choose somebody that looks representative of them and what i've heard back anecdote anecdotally from them is that they really appreciate this assignment because they get the opportunity to like highlight somebody that looks like them who's in the in the sciences. But then there's also people like I had Temple Grandin come in. Temple Grandin, who was autistic and basically developed a method for slaughtering cows that was more humane. The connection there was the love for animals and, you know, trying to make things more humane. Um, well, so cool. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, that is. That is. So um, if maybe you could talk a little bit about your process, but I'm just wondering if a faculty member is listening to this and they're like, wow, that's a great idea. What else can I do? Uh, How how did you get started in where you made this assignment? And what would you recommend to faculty that want to do something uh, that would be intentionally inclusive? What would help help
2: them get started? Where should they go? Where should they go? Well, I, as we were talking earlier, Lindsay, I cannot remember where I got this idea from. And if somebody is out there listening that I that has published on this idea, I apologize. Um, I might very well have read it. If you're going to go the assignment route, I think there's a couple of things that you could start with. One is pick one assignment and don't make it too complicated. Let them. Take it in whatever direction they want to take it in. I think the students really appreciate that, um, particularly for, for the entry level classes that I'm working with. I, I found that it works really well if you, if you give them some credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> students, students love to get credit for things and this is a really great way of kind of leveling the playing field because at least for general chemistry at, at Rhode Island College, our general chemistry class is also a general ed class. So we have art majors and music majors and psychology majors who are in the same class with our chemistry majors in physics and biology. And so there's a lot of anxiety for other students coming into a science course like this um and so I find that this particular everyone's on the same footing here and everyone can can produce something without feeling um behind the curve. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a great um, idea. I I also I make sure that um I tell them that it can be anybody living, dead. Uh, I actually want an an authentic science somebody who is real. Um I had somebody um try to Who's a fictional scientist like Walter White the purpose <laughs> yeah, really <love. laughs> Walter White exactly <laughs> yes I don't think they're using Walter White as a role model though they're it's like just, I really yes. want to
1: own a car wash one day so Walter White <laughs> that's that's what I'm doing exactly. okay that's great is there anything else you want to share with us or Greg do you have any questions for Karen
0: well, I, I find it interesting, Karen, particularly when you're asked the question about how, did, how were you inspired to get involved in this exercise? What, what did you do to get started in it? And I thought, oh, I'm glad you were asked that question and not me, because my answer is kind of the same in that on the one hand, these last few years, we've been talking really very much about how do you be very deliberate in thinking about aspects of diversity and inclusion and being inclusive in your classroom. And I approached it years ago, like where I just came in and I was a new faculty member and and I was asked to uh, do some revising of our lab manual. And I, I, I just started changing things. Um, some because we just had changed the curriculum and there was there was a need. And then after a few years, to be honest, <laughs> brutally honest, I got bored teaching the same thing every semester. So I started just changing things. And I would tell the students openly, like, well, this is a new exercise I've written for you this year um, that we're doing. Um, there's nothing wrong with what we had before. I just got tired of doing it and do something different. And as it evolved, I started thinking about how could I incorporate things that were more relevant to my students. And and what I thought might be truly relevant, which interestingly gets harder and harder the older I get and the further from their age group um, that I get. But I was trying to think about the fact that what do they have in common? Because much like Karen's situation, in our general chemistry at Illinois State University, we have a huge diversity of students in terms of interest level and background level, not even addressing issues of color, sexual orientation, these type of things, just the disparity with which people walk out of high school and have a high school diploma and come into this first semester gen ed general chemistry, which by definition, because it's a first semester freshman course, a high school diploma is the, is the only formal prerequisite at our university. And, and so, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I start was reading this book like my second year, third year as a faculty member called Radium Girls. And the fascinating thing about that book is it's all the rage right now. And I remember reading it. And one thing that really struck me was, wait a second, Ottawa, Illinois is like, where one of the major plants was. And that's like halfway between we're down in normal, Illinois and halfway between us and Chicago is where Ottawa was. And so I was looking for it was literally a dimensional analysis exercise. And I just wanted to make a challenging word problem. And I realized I could do it on the simple question of if you had, you know, five milligrams of radium bromide and you came back 20 years later, how much radium bromide would be left? But then contextualized it in a story about the radium girls and the lip pointing and and then talk up to the class about the example Uh, and say, you know, the interesting thing is that story uh, at the time it was happening was, you know, mostly 18 to 25 year old females from central Illinois. And I said, look around you, you know, who are you? You're 18 to 25 year old women you know half the class is female or maybe even a little bit more um at isu um you are the population that would have back in that era been more likely painting radioactive paint and dying from radiation poisoning and trying to connect to them right and so that's kind of informed each time i do an exercise i try and find a little something that maybe connects and so it's intentional and I, definitely intentional on the inclusion, but I define diversity quite broadly, and then it becomes a matter of you know when I'm writing something, asking myself, well, who are the people I've seen in my class recently? What might resonate with them um and it's just evolved over the years, and in many cases, there isn't a particular point that I can say this is exactly why I chose this, other than I kind of was looking to build an exercise and looking for an example. And something struck me that, oh, this would probably connect with the students that we happen to have. Um, and I've just been gradually doing things for many years now.
2: Yeah. And, and oh, go ahead, Karen. I was just going to say, I mean, what you're talking about, that equity issue is just as important because um Yes, I want to be inclusive of all types of genders and races and, you know, ages and, you know, and all of that kind of thing. Um, But I also want to be inclusive of people who don't have the technology maybe to be able to um, engage as easily um, in a remote learning environment or to, uh, you know, don't have the broadband access that makes it easier for other students to do. And I know we've been talking about this for a long time, but this pandemic has really made it much more of an issue. Yeah. Um, Greg,
1: would you mind if we bounce back to you and maybe uh, you could give us uh, an overview of what you've been doing? Because it's different than Karen uh, in that it's not a specific assignment, but you're actually using your class time um, to expose students to other experts in the field. So. Yeah. Take
0: it away. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. I, I don't know. That, that almost makes it sound more glorious than it is. Um, I think I had a friend in graduate school that that used to say as he was trying to get through the challenges of Ph.D. school, baby steps, baby steps, you know, one step at a time. And and I think about that a lot. And, and so really in this case, um, I'm kind of talking about a baby step, but uh, the reason I Uh, told Lindsay this might be something worth my talking about is, it was a relatively low hanging fruit, simple thing to address. And so I just took the opportunity because I could. Um, It does mean I had to make a change um, fairly quickly. But what what happened was I'm teaching a a general chemistry type course that is for not explicitly chemistry majors. A lot of the students in the class are either uh, food nutrition majors, nursing majors or agriculture majors so it's it's a one semester intense um general chemistry type course but these aren't people that plan to be chemists certainly and i got an email uh, from a colleague and he said uh, there's a uh, a seminar that is being hosted by andrews university which is up in Michigan, I'm down in Illinois, but uh, they, they'd be happy to have people uh, sit in on this lecture that was to be given by a uh, Dr. Kismikia Corbett, who is one of the people that's pretty close to being team lead or lead on some aspect of the development of the Moderna vaccine. And I well, that's kind of cool. And I looked at the time, and it was you know three thirty on uh, local time, uh, on a weekday. I'm like, I'm in class at that time. That's not going to work. It's too bad. I can't see that. And then I was thinking, well, you know, COVID's pretty important, and um, I'm teach. You laugh, but right, I mean, this is the way my brain thinks, you know. And, and and I'm I'm sitting there going, well, and I got, well, I've got nursing students. They might care about things related to this, and and then I'm like, well. This is relevant to everybody. And then I kind of went, well, you know, as much as I'd like to think that my teaching of general chemistry is the most important thing in the world, chances are if they could hear from somebody who was like on the front lines of developing the COVID vaccine, that would say more to the, those class members than anybody else. And it's not at the beginning of the class. It's it's halfway through class. But you know what? Why not? And and then I you know looked it over I'm like oh she happens to also be a black female in science which was kind of why my uh, black colleague had reached out and was kind of letting people know because he was trying to promote it from the diversity end but my initial thinking oftentimes is like I'm looking for experts in science right it's just value added that she happens to be black and she happens to be female (laughs) she's developing the the Moderna vaccine my gosh you know this is so cool and so uh. I I said you know what I'm just gonna you know send them the Zoom link and have the whole class go and so we had we we met the first half of the class and then I directed them to the Zoom link we had to disconnect from my local Zoom so they could connect to the Andrews um, Zoom and of course as usual as a faculty member it took a few minutes before I cleared my room you know people a couple questions so by the time I got out and got to go into the link to to see her seminar what i got back was sorry all seats are full the 500 seat maximum of this zoom has been exceeded and i went uh oh uh you know i just sent Uh, 168 of those 500 there. (laughs) Uh, uh, Whoops, Uh, hope hope I didn't just crash Andrew's whole thing. I I haven't heard anything negative there. So I immediately went into my LMS platform and sent a message to the students saying, I'm really sorry if you can't be there. Cause I told them, you know, I kind of feigned like, oh, I expect you to attend. Like I'm gonna be checking attendance, even though I really don't have any way to actually check, but I never said I was gonna check attendance. I just said, I expect you to attend. and so I sent an email. and said, I can't get into the seminar. There's no seats. I did any of you get in and I, you know, I hope so. And I'll, I'll let the rest of, you know, if there's a a, a link or something. And it was amazing within two minutes of sending that message. I had six students send messages back to me, to my email saying, Hey, Dr. Ference they're live streaming it on YouTube. Here's the link. And I pushed that back out to the class and I went and watched the talk and it was amazing. and, and, It was intentional in that I saw an opportunity, but I just acted on it. And I thought, you know, worst case scenario, I just wasted a half hour of of my class time. But if nothing else, I'm showing that there are some scientists out there that might resonate with their lives. Now, once I actually saw the talk, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'd love to get her to come to ISU and presented ISU to a broader community take home message is sometimes you don't have to plan far in advance. I mean literally I got the memo from my colleague on let's say it was a Tuesday and the seminar was on Wednesday, right? So that's how quickly I and I just said, I'm dropping what I'm doing in the class and I'll adjust and, and move. And I think sometimes that's the way you do it. Just try something.
2: So can I ask you something, Greg? Sure. Um so Do you have any sense of how many, what proportion of your students actually saw it? Or are you, um, you know, or is there any kind of like reflection or anything that you're following that up with?
0: So what I did do is then the next lecture, I did a debrief, spent about the first 10 minutes of class with a debrief and asked, you know, who had attended. And, you know, one of the challenges with a Zoom lecture is you know, I have 168 enrolled, 130 will show up, um, six of them will turn their videos on. It's it's hard to get the interaction. So I still don't have a good calibration for kind of what's that ratio when a few students self-report that, yes, they participated, how many really did? A number of them did, said it was really good. They really enjoyed it. I It's really hard for me to know how many were there, but we talked a, a little bit as a follow-up and and they were you know saying what they liked about it and so i think those that saw it really did enjoy it and i've provided a link and i point out that since it was live streamed on youtube that there is a persistent link and it can watch so i pushed that out through the announcements and told the class if you missed it you know here's an opportunity and i built it into my lecture powerpoints i even told them that in my and my lecture powerpoints that i post after lecture originally i had the url for the zoom link Right. And it showed up in several places so that as we were going through the content in the early part of the lecture, it would pop up here. I can say in a little while, we're going to be going off to this link. And then when I when I got to the end of lecture, the last panel was like we're headed to uh, Dr. Corbett's talk. And here's the Zoom link, put a nice QR code on there so they could use their phone to jump right to it if they wanted to. And so when I went over it with the students on the next day, I had already gone back and edited that lecture and changed the links. To the persistent YouTube thing, and and told them, you know, I went back into the lecture. So if you do want to watch it, you know, you can get at it the link in the the announcement, but you can also get it in the, the posted lecture PowerPoint. This is intentional the way I'm doing it because I'm trying to send some kind of messaging that is I'm valuing this to the extent that if I took the time to go back and change the hyperlinks in my lecture notes and tell you that I changed them and make them accessible and you notice them, it's not just I randomly said, oh, I don't feel like teaching today. Why don't you go watch this seminar? It would have been way easier for me to just teach the normal lecture. And so really trying to show that I'm valuing it, it had value. And then in the short term, the least of my concerns is how many people did it. I think if I really wanted to know, I could contact the person that's the contact at at Andrews because I know they had a little Google form that was popping up and I could ask them, you know, How many ISU email addresses did you have in there? And I could probably get at the number. Uh, But I think I've learned over the years that, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. And some of them went and some of them enjoyed it a lot and got a lot out of it. And those are the people I'm looking to target anyway, because they had enough interest to go there and they got to see the role modeling. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a win.
1: (laughs) So is that the the YouTube link, the persistent YouTube link? That's something we could link to. And yeah, follow? yeah,
0: sure. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I'll I'll be happy to. I'll I'll send that to you after, and you can link. Now, I make no guarantees with it, right? I have no, I don't totally know how these things work. Does a YouTube link so last it, if forever? If it doesn't
2: work, we're gonna blame you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it'll work today. Whether it'll work in in ten years, I I don't know. You know. Uh, you
2: think someone's going to be listening to this in 10 years? I would be super I should, very <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> well, you
0: know, you, let's let's just pretend. Yes. If you enjoy the Chem for Real podcast, please consider sharing it with your colleagues, friends, and through your social media accounts. We release episodes approximately monthly. Subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. For related content, please see The Curve, gem.wordpress.com blog site and the fur.org website also please leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts which helps others find us and as always we thank you for listening